Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church Podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. My name is Tim Barton. I'm the pastor of Family Ministries here at the Vine, and I just wanted to ask you today, um, as we get started, have you ever had trouble making decisions in your life? Some of you chuckled a little bit. <laughs> you might be like the couple I talked to earlier this week, and I, and I asked them that question kind of as a, a test for, for coming into this week, and, and the lady said, oh, I have trouble making decisions all the time. I'm, I'm just kind of analyzing, is this the right thing? Is this the right thing? What do I do here? Um, and then I just kind of get overwhelmed with it all. And the guy kind of interrupted her and said, oh, I don't have any trouble making decisions. To which she then looked at him and responded, that's true. He has no problem making decisions. They're just not always good ones. <laughs> I share that because, you know, I think in our culture, right, making a good, a quick decision, being decisive is something that's often celebrated, right? And, and it's this idea that we've got to be able to do it fast. Well, when we take that and then we apply it into our lives as followers of Jesus, it becomes, it gets a little bit messy. Let me explain what I mean. If, if, you, if you talk to a, many teenagers today, and I've heard this out of at least four or five of their mouths in the last year, oh, I don't really watch many movies anymore. They're too long. I need a TikTok video. Or, yeah, I don't really read books. I want a short blog post, and it better be short. You see, this, this idea of quick and easy permeates our culture. And this idea has, has come into the church, and we live with it, we struggle with it as well. But I want to show you today that, that as we continue in our series, Just People Like You and Me, um, we're not alone in that. This, this desire to have a quick decision, this desire to, to make it fast and easy. And we're going to do this by looking at the story of Gideon. We're moving forward a little bit, and we're now in Judges. We're going to start in Judges chapter 6 in just a few moments. Um, but I want to tell you what's going on in the book of Judges, just so that you, you have a, um, kind of caught up and we're all at the same place. Judges comes just after the book of Joshua. John talked last week on Moses, and then, um, then you have Joshua. In Joshua, um, Joshua is the one that actually leads the people into the promised land, um, as they go in, they're, they're supposed to drive out the, the others who are there, um, the, other, the other nations. And they're supposed to, God says over and over again, don't worship the false gods. Instead, as you go in, um, you continue to, to worship me and obey me and me alone. Right? And so they go in. They don't do what God says. And as they don't do what God says, um, we call that sin. Right? And that's the first thing you see in this pattern in Judges. They sin. Well, after they sin, God gives them over into slavery. Um, this happens 12 times, by the way, 12 different cycles in the book of Judges. Okay, so, so God gives them over to slavery. The people realize this really stinks, and they cry out to God for help. That's their supplication. And then God raises up a judge, and the judge saves them from that specific situation. That's all the Israelites, it seems, in, in the book of um, Judges are concerned about is getting out of the particular situation. And they, they toe the line, so to speak, as long as that judge is alive. But when that judge dies, 
they go right back to the sin. In this particular pattern or cycle that we're looking at with Gideon, chapter 6, verses 1 through 10 says it's the Midianites that have come. The Midianites um, have ruled over them for seven years. They're taking all their livestock, all their crops, um, everything that, that would be their sense of, of um, well-being, their, their food, everything that they, they would say they needed, the Midianites were coming in and taking it away from them. And so they cry out to God, Lord, help me, help us. And as they cry that out, it's interesting because they don't mention anything about, Lord, help us with our spiritual condition. Help us to obey and trust you. All they care about is, Lord, help us with this economic catastrophe that we're in right now. We don't have food to eat. Maybe their grocery store shelves are more empty. Or, Lord, help me, help us, um, help us to just have these circumstances better. That's all they're concerned about. And God tells them in chapter 6, verse 10, you need to be less concerned about that. You need to be concerned about your spiritual condition. Nevertheless, he still helps them. It's interesting how patient God is with his people again and again and again. So he raises up Gideon. And he tells Gideon that he is going to go and to defeat the Midianites. Gideon's having a hard time believing that because Gideon's facing about 135,000 Midianites. And he's like, whoa, this ain't going to work. God tells him, yes, you're going to do this. And so Gideon says, okay, I'm going to put God to the test here. And that's where we pick up in our passage, Judges chapter 6, verses 36 through 40. And this is God's word. Then Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on all the ground, Then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he arose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, Let not your anger burn against me. Uh, let, Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be drown the fleece only, and on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground there was dew. This morning, in early morning prayer, um, as we were reading the passage, um, one, of the, one of the guys in, in prayer was, was chuckling a little, and we were talking about it. We, we all kind of were. It's like, man, you know when your kid just keeps coming to you again and again and again and again and again and asking the same question over and over again? And, um, you know, but God was so patient. And I will tell you that the ends didn't justify the means. But God's character was one of patience towards his people and towards Gideon. And so God does what he said he would do. He defeats the Midianites through Gideon. And you can read about that in chapter 7 to 8. But it's, I want to show you one more thing before we get to the rest of this. Is In chapter 7, verse 2, it tells us that God weeded out, weeded out, decreased the number of soldiers that Israel had at its disposal. I just told you a minute ago, the Midianites had roughly 135,000. When the armies of Israel gathered together, they had about 32,000. You would think those odds would be enough that God would say, okay, that's good. 
Everybody will know that, that I delivered Israel. It wasn't Gideon. It wasn't the army that I did it through the army with those odds. But no, God decreases it down to 300 men. And so Gideon with 300 men went and fought the Midianites and God used Gideon to deliver Israel from their hand. Now, when we read passages like that, um, when we see the answer Gideon received, we might be tempted to think, that seems pretty easy. That might be a good way, a helpful way to find assurance in what God's calling us to. But I want us to look a little bit deeper into the story. And first thing we're going to see is the assurance we hope for as we look at the story of Gideon. Because at first glance, it seems that, that Gideon, and this is, this is how, how I read this story as I grew up. Because at first, story, at first glance, it seems that Gideon wanted assurance that God was calling him to go and fight the Midianites. But that's not what he was asking for. You know, when we just kind of fly through it, that's what it looks like. That's not what he's asking for. He wasn't asking, should I go and fight Midian? He actually already had the answer to that. Why do I say that? Well, in chapter 6, verse 14... The angel of the Lord is coming, and so the, in the, the Lord, through, through the angel of the Lord, is, is there with him, and he's saying, am I not sending you? In verse 14, Gideon's like, I don't think I can do this. And, and God, the Lord says, am I not sending you? And then in verse 16, again, he's, he's questioning this, and, and the Lord told him again, I will be with you. I'm, I'm sending you. I will be with you. And what's interesting is, not only that, but, but even before the fleece is laid out, he also, in verses 22 to 23 of, of chapter 6, God's already graciously given Gideon this, this huge, massive sign. Um, look there with me for just a minute. Chapter 6, verse 22. It says, Then Gideon perceived that this was the angel of the Lord, and Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. He saw the angel of the Lord face to face, yet he didn't die. To us, that means absolutely nothing. But to the Israelites, they knew that to see God face to face meant quick and ultimate death. God showed him he was going to be with him. God had given him a clear revelation. He had also given him an overwhelming sign. And so my point is this, is that Gideon knew God's will in this situation. He knew what he was supposed to do. He didn't need the fleece to tell him that. His real struggle was that he didn't want to know, he didn't want, um, sorry, his real struggle, I'm just going to say it this way, was obeying God. His real struggle was obeying and doing what God had already made clear to him. Pastor theologian John Stott applies the passage this way. He says, most people, that's you and me, most people don't want to know the will of God to do it. They want to know the will of God to consider it. More often than not, much like Gideon, our issue is not that we don't know, we don't know the will of God or that we don't have the will of God to go find it. Our issue is that we don't want to obey it or we don't like it. 
Gideon not liking and not trusting God led him to look for signs and circumstances. And what's interesting is it led him to act like the culture of the pagan world around him. He was so influenced by the culture around him that he would not listen to what God said. He didn't want to find his assurance from how God said to find it. And the assurance we often hope for is that God will orchestrate the circumstances to what best fits our ideas or to what best, quote, speaks to me. We often want God to affirm what we already want, or we want to dictate to him how he might best make things clear to us. Does that resonate with anyone? And I do want to pause just a minute and say this, though. Um, I mentioned God is patient. And it is very true that despite our sin and sometimes our wrong approaches, that God sometimes gives us assurance in these ways. But again, the, the ends doesn't justify the means. That's our culture speaking. That's not biblical. This is not the normal way we're to seek assurance from him. And here's why. It, it's because this way of seeking assurance, these signs, these fleeces, so to speak, these things lead to several different watchouts. And I'm going to give you three of them. I'm calling them watchouts. You can call them dangers, whatever you want to call them. Um, but, but these are things to be on the lookout for in our own hearts. See, when, when this is how we are pursuing assurance that God is with us to, to know where God is leading, then the sign itself, the fleece, will become the authority of our lives instead of the word of God. Why do you think Gideon went and fought the Midianites? Was it because of God's word, what, what God had said? Or was it because of the fleece? I think he went and fought the Midianites because of the sign of the fleece. What's interesting to me is that the fleece and this type of approach, this type of looking for this type of sign, actually becomes an idol for Gideon. And we don't see that right there in this initial part of the story. We've got to, we've got to fast forward to chapter 8. And so in chapter 8, because all of chapter 7 and a good portion of chapter 8 even talk about the actual raising up the 300 men, defeating uh, Midian, okay? But after the battle, the people of Israel beg Gideon, they beg him to come rule over them. Now, now Gideon answers correctly. He goes, no, I'm not going to rule over you in verse 23, chapter 8, 23, the Lord will rule over you. And that sounds great, but as we keep reading, we see some of Gideon's heart here. Because as we keep reading... Instead, in chapter 8, 27, Gideon, right after that, asked for all the gold and garments that they had collected. And he takes all the gold and garments, and he makes something called, or at least how I pronounce it today, an ephod. That's probably not correct. There's probably someone in here who could say it correctly. But it's okay. That's what it is for now. He makes an ephod, okay? This ephod is, appears first in Exodus chapter 28. It's what God had told the, the high priest to wear. They, they made it out of garments and out of gold. Um, it's what he told the high priest to wear when they went into the most the holy of holies, and it was part of the decision-making process for the whole nation of Israel. Gideon wasn't a priest, though. 
Gideon wanted this thing for his own personal use. It was just another fleece. It was just another way to say, God, make this quick and easy for me. He wasn't looking to lead the people to look to the Lord. And here's what happens after he makes this fleece or this, this ephod. Verse 27 says that the people of Israel whored after the ephod and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. The fleece, the ephod, the signs, they became the authority, not the word of God. And I think we use similar things. Um, I was talking with a, a friend this week, and I was talking about this passage, and he said, he said, yeah, it kind of reminds me of something. I said, like, okay, tell me, what, what does it remind you of? He goes, well, when I was in high school, I wanted to know if the Lord wanted me to ask this girl out or not. And so I would shoot free throws. And if I missed the free throw, the answer was no. If I made the free throw, the answer was yes. And he goes, and I wasn't very good at free throws. So after I missed it once, I took two steps in, hoping it'd be a better answer. <laughs> That's a silly example, but we have, we have those in our lives. I bet everyone in here has done something like that or prayed some kind of prayer at some point in your life. It's quick, it's easy. It doesn't require us to know God and his word. It just requires us to consult the sign to get the answer. You know, we don't really want to take the designated, patient, sometimes even slow and painful way of growing to know his word and knowing him through it. We don't want to train our children in that way. We don't want to to want to walk with one another in this way. And that is a huge watch out for us in our fast-paced society. Second watch out is that when we look for a sign because we're struggling to do or obey God's will, it's an indication that our hearts are in the wrong place. You see, when we're looking for a sign in the sign itself, and God answers that, don't we do the same thing Gideon does? Well, God answered the first one. So God, this time, um, hey, c could you actually just make the, the um, fleece dry this time and the ground wet? God does. You know what Gideon does again next? Hey, God, could you um, give me a little more assurance? And God sends him down to the, to the camp of, of the Midianites, and he hears the Midianites saying that in a dream, um, Gideon was going to come and destroy them. That's a very um, loose paraphrase of what happens there, but that's, that's what he's looking for in that sign. He just goes, and, then he, and then he gets to this effort. It just never stops. The sign doesn't solve the problems because what's really going on is that in our hearts, we are saying, God, we don't want to do what you're telling me to do. As we watch out for this in our hearts, what, we, what do we do with this sin in our hearts? Because can, can we agree that it is sin? I'm going to tell you what the God's word says, whether we agree with it or not. But it is sin when God, when God is showing us something clearly in his word and we say, no, I don't want to do that. That's the definition of sin. There's other parts to it. That's part of the definition. But, but what do we do with this sin in our hearts? It's super complicated. 
not really. We need, we need to be honest with God and tell him what he already knows. Do you understand that God knows every thought? Do we understand that, that God knows the, the depths of our hearts? I would say even more than we do. Be honest with God. Tell him what he already knows. God, I don't want to do your will. But follow that up with, Lord, change my heart. Give me the strength to do what you've called me to do. Give me the strength to follow what you say is good for me. You see, we're not growing as Christians unless we're learning to submit to him and what he says is good so that our will is conformed to his will. Third watch out is when we put our fleeces out, we're tending to dictate to God. That's never a good place to be. It's the root of our sin, right? Genesis 3, we want to be like God. We want to be able to decide what's good for us. And so what we're saying is, God, I know your will, but I'm still going to tell you what to do on my timetable. God, you have to do it by tomorrow morning when the dew falls. When we dictate to God, we're saying, I'm only going to follow and obey you if you make it easy for me. Now, a lot of these watchouts, those are the three watchouts, but a lot of these watchouts come because we're living in a time when, much like Israel as a whole, much like Gideon personally, our understanding of Christianity has been mixed with our culture. The word for that is syncretism. You don't have to remember that word, but remember that our understanding of Christianity has been mixed with our understanding of culture. Our understanding of Christianity has been mixed with the American ideal. Our understanding of Christianity has been mixed again and again with, with pieces of false religion. But probably the one that's one of the most dangerous for us is this. It sounds like this. We live with the idea that God wants what we want above everything else. We get to look out for number one. We get to look out for ourselves irrespective of, what those, of those around us because God wants me to have what I want so I can be happy. We say things like, and I don't think anyone in here would ever say it out loud, but our actions often look this way. If you want to be my God, you will work this way. This is the assurance we often hope for. And it's dangerous. Because the pursuit of it provides no assurance at all. It might fall, provide some false, false assurance, but that will crumble, I promise. But now let's look at the assurance we do need. And this is the second point, but it's also the application. Um, so this will just be a few minutes. Let's look at the assurance we do need. We find it in contrast to Gideon. And the first thing is the assurance we need comes from knowing the character of God. This requires, how, how do you know somebody's character? I can tell you that I know Pastor John, but 10 years ago, I knew Pastor John. I talked to Pastor John some. 
But I, don't, I didn't know Pastor John the same way I know Pastor John today. As we've walked through hard things together, as we've had disagreements, that doesn't happen that often, um, as we've um, grown together, worked together, repented to one another, sought forgiveness of one another. How do we know somebody's character? You've got to spend time with them, right? A day-to-day relationship with God is the context of knowing God's will for our lives, of knowing his assurance in our lives. Gideon grew up with a father who worshipped Baal. He grew up with a father who, who worshipped a false pagan god. Gideon hadn't spent time with the Lord. He was so engrossed in pagan culture that he didn't know the character of God, and so he didn't trust God, and he didn't want to obey what God had said was good for him. The second assurance we need comes from knowing that what God says is what is good for us. I mentioned earlier Joshua, right, that that precedes the book of Judges. In Joshua, it says that the people served the Lord during the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him. How did Joshua know God's will? Well, as he began in chapter 1, verse 8 of Joshua, it says, Do not let this book of law depart from your mouth. Meaning, don't let it escape from you. Keep this there. And then he goes on and says, meditate on it day and night. And then you'll know what God wants. And then in Joshua chapter 23, verse 6, he says, Be very strong and careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. All that is written in the word of God as they had it. Be careful to meditate on that and obey that. And they did, and those that Joshua said, told um, the, the elders, they led in that until those elders died. But the assurance we need comes from knowing that what God says is good, in his word is good for us. Third is that the assur- uh, assurance is, let me say that differently. Third is that um, we get the assurance that the Holy Spirit, using the word of God, will conform us to the will of God. You see, if you are a follower of Jesus and you are coming to him through his word again and again, it's not just that we learn it in our heads. It's that the spirit of God has promised to use his word to conform us to his will, to change us. This is God's revealed will. Now, some of you may be sitting there and you may be thinking, Yeah, but how does that help me make decisions in my life? You know, this this word of God did not tell me to marry Carrie Ann Marie Chambers. But you know what this word did say? This word said that as I was looking for someone to marry, it should be someone who loved God more than she loved me. It should be someone who cared more about my walk with the Lord than she cared about what I could do for her. It should be someone who was willing to walk through hard things because she had committed to God before she committed to me. When you think about a job, the Word of God does not say choose this job over this job. It's not going to tell you explicitly. Here's what it does say. What is it that you're looking for in these jobs? Because you are to be someone of honesty, of integrity, 
of good character in your community, willing to put others before yourself. It tells us that we are um, to see these things as opportunities to serve and, and better the culture that we live in. And it also says that we don't pursue materialism. We don't pursue things that are in contrast to knowing him. Which of the jobs helps you do that better? I could go on with, with many different examples with wisdom about children, parents, workplace, living, marriage. And while it doesn't tell us explicitly, it does tell us how to think about those things. You heard earlier from Ken and Margie Hilburn, um, and, and as they shared their testimony about just being involved in this 15 Acres Faith Promise. And, and, I, and I bring that up because I, I just love the story, because the story is not... God, get, God broke through and gave us this, this, big, this big number as the clouds parted and he just showed us this number. No, the story was, we know that from God's word that we're supposed to be part of a local church. This is the church that God has led us to, that we've submitted to, and we're going to be part of what this church is about unless this church is calling us to sin. We're going to join in with that and we're going to be part of it. God has revealed his will by his spirit and his spirit teaches us not through the wisdom of the unbelieving world. He tells us that his spirit instead magnifies the things of the word of God. Last thing is assurance that when we sin through Jesus, we still have assurance that he will not leave us or forsake us. So at the end of this story, uh, there's never any mention that the people of God turned to the Lord um, from a spiritual standpoint. As soon as Gideon died, the one that they said had saved them, even though God did it in a way that pointed to him with 300 men, as soon as Gideon died, in chapter 8, verse 33 to 35, it says, they did not remember God and instead hoard after false gods. Because they sought the assurance of sons, assurance in the person of Gideon, they were only concerned about their immediate circumstances and their immediate happiness. I'll say it this way. Obeying God was not even on their radar. That wasn't something they were concerned about. They had no desire to follow what God said was good for them. And we often have those same issues in our lives. Because of our sin, we don't want to do what God said is good for us. And instead, we want to dictate to him our terms. This sermon's been pretty heavy, I know. But here's the good news. God knew this. Our sin wasn't a surprise to him. And so he sent Jesus. And Jesus perfectly did the will of God. Do you remember in Matthew 26, it's verse 39... Jesus is faced with the temptation in the garden, seemingly almost like this is almost too much to bear. Perhaps I should walk away. He doesn't say all that. But he's, he's faced with this, and here's what he prays. My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. 
Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus cared about obeying the Father. And he did it perfectly. Because we can't. But because of what he's done, he did what was necessary for us to have assurance that he will not leave us or forsake us. He did what was necessary for us to have assurance that he, by his Holy Spirit, will use the word that he said he would use. He did what was necessary to have assurance that the character of God will not change. And so through Jesus, he will always be with his people. He will always be growing his people to conform to his image. That's a promise. As we come again and again and submit to his word, because of what Jesus has done, you remember I mentioned earlier that character, I mean that, that um, patience as a character of God. God is patient with his people because he secured us through his son. And that's the assurance we have to live our lives seeking to honor him, to know him. That's the assurance we have as we make decisions in this life. We're going to prepare uh, for the Lord's table a little bit differently this morning. I've asked um, Tim and Karen uh, to lead us in one more song. And I, won't, I really want to invite you um, to sing this with us, um, to sing of the assurance that we have in Jesus. Um, and as you're doing so, if you need to stop and to say before the Lord, Lord, I'm seeking my assurances from other things then take the time to do so, and then join back in singing as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's table. All my attempts to be satisfied were vain and until the moment you rescued me and your love filled me my soul sings my soul sings what blessed assurance i found in you i found in Love.
Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at thevinecc. Have a great week.